Coming up on today's message with Pastor John. They put the lighthouse in high-risk danger zones like rocky headlands or unstable beaches where every wave threatens to undermine the foundation. And for that reason, a lighthouse is always a message to the ship's captain that the vessel is entering treacherous water. You don't put the lighthouse where everything is smooth. You don't put the lighthouse where everything is easy. You put the lighthouse where things are dangerous, where somebody may hurt themselves so that they know they can look to the lighthouse and keep themselves safe. Amen. Let's get into the word. Uh, Today's message is going to come from the book of Isaiah, the 49th chapter. I'm going to be reading uh, the first through the seventh verse. Again, that is Isaiah the 49th chapter, uh, the verses 1 through 7. It's an Old Testament passage of scripture. Uh, There are many translations. I'm going to be reading the New International Translation for us. Uh, Let's see what it has to say for us today, amen? Hear ye the word of the Lord. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all, yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. Now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and to gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see you and bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, please. O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, your name is great and greatly to be praised. We love you, we honor you, we praise your holy name. We thank you for this opportunity to hear your word again, Lord God. Allow me, humble servant, sitting at your sacred desk uh, to decrease so that you may increase. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. It is in your son's precious, perfect, powerful name, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, For the time that we get to spend together today, I'd like to talk a little bit about a light to the nations. A light 
to the nations. Lighthouses are fascinating. Uh, they're picturesque, if you will, standing tall against the elements, offering a beacon of hope in the darkest night to a lone ship seeking a safe harbor. A lighthouse is a symbol of hope against all odds. Uh, a light on the distant shore signals safety and salvation, even in one's hour of most, uh, one's most desperate need. You look to the lighthouse in times of struggle or need. And in transparency, I will tell you that there are some times I struggle. There are some times I struggle with pastoring. I desire to be the absolute best at everything I try. Uh, when I take personality and psychological assessments and evaluations, they all have some sort of language that says that I rate high on competition and am a competitive person. Uh, to get ordained in the United Methodist Church, you have to go through several evaluations, and one of them is a psychological evaluation. And before I was going to take my first psychological evaluation, some of the all, uh, other pastors pulled me to the side telling me that when this assessment comes back, uh, it's going to say uh, that you pay excessive attention to detail. It's going to say you have problems with authority. And it's going to say you have a high need for affirmation and that you are going to be a competitive person. The pastors told me this because they all had had similar results when they went through the uh, assessments and the evaluations. And they told me why those results make for a good pastor. Uh, the problem with authority uh, meant that they were leaders and they would hold other leaders accountable. Uh, being detail-oriented meant that you were working to make sure things were right in the church and if you rated high on affirmation, uh, that score meant that you cared for the people and that you wanted them to care for you. The challenge, though, is the competition. I, I want to see tangible results whenever I do something. When I wanted to be a video editor, I compared myself to other video editors. If I were to take up singing, I would compare myself to other singers. No matter what it was, we could be playing spades or dominoes or bowling or anything. I always wanted to compare myself, see where I stood compared to the best of the best even if it hurt my feelings. I want to be good at everything, and I want to be good at everything yesterday. I know I'm not the only one that struggles with comparison. We are saturated with the image of the American dream, which wants us to be greater than we currently are. But when they say greater, that usually means to have more stuff or, or, or be more famous or, 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 or be more popular in something. We all have something to aspire to. 
We all have goals, and when we don't achieve those goals, we can feel down. Social media does not help the matter either. Uh, the activity that can be found on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and a bunch of other places, the people are putting together a carefully crafted image that is made up for people to aspire to, but the problem is that image is not accurate. That is an edited picture. You don't see all the work that has to go to get to that picture. You don't see what they've done to edit the picture. You don't see what type of problems they have after the camera is turned off. And even before social media, we still had this phenomenon. Uh, the, they called it keeping up with the Joneses back in the day. Uh, people spending money they don't have to buy things they, can't, they don't need to impress people they don't even like. We have set our sights on the wrong lighthouse. And people have gotten seriously depressed because they felt like a failure in their current situation. And we come across a prophet that feels like a failure in scripture in Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49 is part of what the scholars call Second Isaiah. We're transitioning to a new work. Isaiah 49 is also what they call the so-called suffering servant songs. In the book of Isaiah, some of the other uh, suffering servant songs, uh, Isaiah 41, I, uh, 1 and 2, uh, Isaiah 54 through 9, Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, uh, and also Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3 is, is considered the fifth servant song, although the word servant is not in that passage. Uh, the unifying element in these passages uh, was isolated by a scholar by the name of Bernhard Durham, Durham in his 1892 commentary on Isaiah. And it's a description, he says, uh, that of the Lord's servant who suffers significantly due to that divine calling. Isaiah is talking to a crowd about a conversation he had with God. And this crowd is suffering disaster on two fronts. Uh, their homeland has been destroyed and they are in exile trying to make do in a foreign land. These people feel like God has abandoned them. And here is this man who has not been successful in trying to talk to them. Isaiah is worried that he may not be cut out for this work that God called him to do. Isaiah has tried and failed to get the people of God to do what God wants, and he is beginning to think that he is not cut out for the prophet's life. I've said in other sermons that 
while the people of God were in captivity, you had two kinds of prophets in the area. You had certain prophets that were telling them that this enslavement, this captivity was only temporary. It was only going to be for a short time and the king of Babylon was going to die real soon and they were going to be home free like nothing ever happened. And then there were other prophets on the other side that said, no, you are in this troubled time by your own doing. God told you what to do beforehand and you didn't do it. God told you not to do certain things and you did them anyway. You did not listen to what God said. Now you have been captured and spread apart and your homeland is destroyed. The prophets that said that this trouble was going to be temporary were popular. But the prophets that said, no, you all did this and you all are going to have to do some things to get out of it were not popular. The people did not want to hear that it was going to take a long time and it was going to take some hard work to get out of that situation. People don't want to hear the truth sometimes, even when it's a bitter pill to swallow. Because the people did not initially want to hear Isaiah's message, Isaiah began to wonder, was his labor in vain? God, I've been going out to talk to your people, and they practically disrespect me. God, I've tried to tell the people what needs to happen, and they're not even listening. They're talking about me behind my back. God, I've told these people what's supposed to happen, and I don't think I'm cut out. Maybe there needs to be another pastor that can tell them right from wrong and tell them what they need to do to go to the next level in order for them to do it. Isaiah was wondering, God, am I preaching in vain? God is my living in vain. Have I really been called to be a prophet? Maybe, God, I heard you wrong. In Isaiah, mine, he failed. But not only that, he's preaching to a people that are in a rough situation. So not only did they not want to listen to them when times are good, they certainly weren't going to listen to him when times were bad. They were saying, where is God when the people are suffering? Where is God when the people are exiled? Where is God when the people are enslaved? Don't tell me about your God. Don't tell me that this is my fault. I'm suffering right now. I don't want to hear what you have to say, Isaiah. Keep it to yourself. But God had to remind Isaiah that this was part of a plan and that God had something for Isaiah, even though he felt like he was a failure right then. Uh, God said that even before Isaiah's birth, God knew this unborn servant and God named called and equipped this one so that the task of restoration and salvation may be accomplished. God said that Isaiah's mouth was going to be like a sharp sword and that God was going to make him like a polished arrow in God's quiver. A polished arrow has to go through a process before it is useful. And God is taking Isaiah through a process to make him useful for what he needs to do. And just like Isaiah is taken through a process by God, we get taken through a process. God is taking 
us through a process so that we can be useful to him. And so we must be ready and willing to be used by God for his purpose. God told Isaiah that I will restore you just like I restored Israel before. God is still concerned for Isaiah. I know it's tough right now, but God is still thinking about Isaiah. I know it's tough right now, but God is still thinking about you. So no matter how insignificant we may feel, we are never insignificant to God. God says that all the nations will see his glory. And when we serve God, our reflections will reflect, our actions rather, will reflect his glory and will be a testimony to his goodness and his grace. God chose Isaiah to be a light to the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to set the captives free. And just like Isaiah, we too have been called to share the light of the gospel and proclaim freedom to those in darkness and captivity. A light to the nations, a lighthouse. You know, a lighthouse has one function. It's to be a light in the darkness. And if it can't do that, it's as useless as a flashlight without batteries. A lighthouse cannot do anything but shed light. It may or may not have emergency tools or equipment. You don't go to the lighthouse or look to the lighthouse for life vests. Matter of fact, most modern lighthouses aren't even inhabited by people. Uh, you won't find many lighthouses a hundred miles away from water on soft and comfortable terrain surrounded by deep, calm water where a lighthouse is not needed. No, no, no. They put the lighthouse in high-risk danger zones like rocky headlands or unstable beaches where every wave threatens to undermine the foundation. And for that reason, a lighthouse is always a message to the ship's captain that the vessel is entering treacherous water. You don't put the lighthouse where everything is smooth. You don't put the lighthouse where everything is easy. You put the lighthouse where things are dangerous, where somebody may hurt themselves so that they know they can look to the lighthouse and keep themselves safe. The sole purpose of a lighthouse is to be an aid in navigation. Sailors need to see the light to avoid danger. A lighthouse exists to facilitate navigation by broadcasting light in a sweeping beam across the vast and restless area. And if you can safely navigate through the dangers revealed by the lighthouse, it can mean you preserved life and property. <laughs> when sailors need to see the light, that's one thing. But Christians need to be the light. Jesus made this clear in his Sermon on the Mount when he said that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket. They put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's Matthew 5, 14 through 16, when you do it on your own. We, we need to be able to see our lives in the light of the world, in the glory of God, which all our aspirations are lifted up and returned to us in forms that we never could imagine. That's how one scholar put it, uh, but we can go all the way back to the Bible talking about God being able to do things exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ever ask or imagine. So I tell, just like God told Isaiah to keep putting one foot in front of the other, you're working a plan that was put in place before you were born. I'll say it to everyone under the sound of my voice. Keep putting one foot forward. Keep stepping forward. Keep pushing. Keep fasting, keep praying, keep thinking, see the light, and know that God is still faithful, and we can trust God because he loves us. He says that this light will go to the nations. It will go even to the Gentiles, so it's not even the people who were just born in it. This light is going to be for those who were not born into the faith. It's going to be an opportunity for everybody to get a piece or a chance at salvation and knowing Christ Jesus in the pardoning of their sins. God made Isaiah a light to all the nations and God makes each one of us a light to all the nations. Even if we feel like we failed now, God is still with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come. Pray with me, please. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from above. We thank you for this opportunity to gather in your word. Lord God, we ask that this word bless those who heard it. Not only bless those who heard it, but bless those who may hear it later. That if there is anyone that desires to know Christ Jesus in the pardoning of their sins, they'll ask, what must I do? To become saved. Lord God, let your word go forth. Let it be a seed that is planted in good soil and produces a great harvest for the work of your kingdom. 30, 60, 100 fold. We ask that your holy word go forth through the help of your Holy Spirit to touch your holy people in your holy church for your holy kingdom. It is in the name above all names that we submit this prayer. Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. Please be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. Don't forget to connect with me on social media, Pastor Johnny Simpson Jr. on Facebook, at Pastor J. Simp Jr. on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for watching, and God bless.